0: He will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. And I would invite you as you're seated to turn to Luke chapter 24. Luke 24, verses 1 through 35, which is the resurrection account Luke's resurrection account of our Lord Jesus And uh, I don't know about you, uh, but it is not enough for me to know that Jesus rose from the dead Uh, What I want to know more than anything is to know the Jesus who rose from the dead I want to have a living relationship With the living Christ And my guess is if you're here this morning that you want the same thing or you at least want to know that it's possible Uh, Maybe you're wrestling through the claims of Christ's resurrection. Maybe you've been thinking about all the people who saw Jesus die, who saw him buried, and then saw him raised back to life. Maybe you're thinking about Mary and Martha and the 11 disciples in the upper room. Maybe you're thinking about the 500 people that Jesus appeared to at one time after his resurrection. And you're contemplating all that, and you're thinking, you know, this is hard to believe that someone rose from the dead— but there is a lot of evidence for it, so I'm considering it. But, but if I believe it, what then? Like, how do I get to know the Jesus who rose from the dead? Or maybe you've been a Christian for a long time, and you do believe that Jesus rose from the dead. You have faith in him for salvation, but right now, you're feeling like the living Christ isn't really living with you. Uh, you don't feel like you have a close relationship with him. You feel like he's far away from you. And so you're wondering, how do I return to the assurance that Jesus is near me and with me and living with me? Or maybe you've been a Christian for a long time and you know that Jesus is alive and you know that he is with you, but you're starting to think that Jesus might be different than you thought he was. You might that he might have a different view of the world than you thought that he did. That he might have uh, different expectations than you thought that he did. You thought you understood him. You thought you understood what he was doing in your life. But now, because of something that's happened or maybe something you've read or heard about, you're thinking to yourself, maybe I don't understand Jesus as well as I thought that I did. But I want to. How do I grow in understanding who Jesus is so that I can walk more closely with Jesus by faith. Or maybe you're a Christian and everything is great, and you just want to know Jesus more and just get closer to him because that's great. Uh, You want to know more fully the peace that he brings, the wisdom, the grace, the help, the hope, all of it. So you see, what brings us together today as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus is Regardless of those different options, the desire to know Jesus and understand Jesus and grow closer to Jesus as the people that he saved and as the friends that he confides in, as the family he lives with today and will live with forever. And that's why Luke chapter 24 is such a powerful chapter for me, because here at the end of Luke's gospel, Jesus shows us how all of this can happen now that he has risen from the dead and ultimately uh, ascended into heaven. See, Luke 24 is not merely a historical account of what happened after Jesus rose from the dead. It's also an explanation for all of us, Uh, Mary, Martha, the disciples, you and me, that we have how we can see and know and walk with Jesus today and tomorrow until that time when we see him in glory face to face. Uh, So let's unpack that. Luke 24, 1 through 35, I'm going to read it. It's a little longer, but it moves pretty fast. And then I'll offer a brief reflection on what Jesus wants us to understand so that we can know him more fully today. Uh, Luke 24, verses 1 through 35. Let's let's hear God's word. (coughs) But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise? Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted that to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he was going to go further And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Thus far the reading of what can only be God's own word. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this word which tells us not only about the resurrection of our Lord Jesus from the dead, but also how we can know him today as he is raised and seated at the right hand of yourself. And Father, we know, however, that the words which we hear will not profit us unless your spirit blesses them to us. And so therefore we pray that you would give us ears to hear, minds to understand, and hearts to believe your word. Father, may the words of my mouth as your preacher, and may the meditation of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, So the first thing we need to reflect on is the fact that when the women, Mary and Magdalene, Joanna, and Mary, the mother of James, they get to the tomb of the resurrected Jesus, Jesus is gone. Uh, We've heard this story so often that we really don't, I think, stop to think how odd that fact is. Uh, Jesus just rose from the dead. He just defeated death. He just won. When you win something, a game, a tournament, a a contract, a debate, like whatever it is, once you've won, do you immediately just get in your car and drive off? No, when you win, you stay around so that you can get a trophy if it's coming to you, so you can celebrate your victory publicly with as many people as possible. You stay around so that you can be celebrated and enjoy the feeling of victory. Jesus has just won the most important victory in all of human history. He's beaten the one enemy that we've never been able to to defeat and could never defeat, right? The chances of you and I beating death and living forever apart from the work of Jesus are exactly zero percent, right? And it will always be zero percent, but not for Jesus. Jesus and death went toe-to-toe. And Jesus won. Jesus defeated death. But instead of standing outside the tomb and celebrating, like we would expect of winners, he's gone. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Why? Like, why is the resurrected Jesus not there? Well, I think the answer is found in what the angels say to the women. Uh, so the women, they've stepped out from the tomb, or at least they've turned away from the tomb, and they're looking at each other in confusion. And then in verse 4, we're told this, while they were perplexed about this, or confused, befuddled, confuzzled, be puzzled, uh, while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. So aside from being one of the funniest things God has ever told angels to tell us, uh, the point here I think is very profound. If you're seeking Jesus as these women were and as we are this morning, whether you're seeking Jesus for the first time, or you want to know that Jesus is with you, or you want to go closer to Jesus, you don't look for him in tombs or monuments or memorials because he is alive. You seek the living one not among the dead, but among the living. In other words, Jesus is present with his people. Jesus rose because he is going to live with us. You see, Jesus isn't at the tomb because his victory over death wasn't ultimately a victory over some hole in the ground. His trophy is not the stone that was rolled away. No, his victory over death was ultimately a victory over the hole in our relationships that death brings. His victory over death is found in his living with us, in us living with him and with each other forever. His trophy, his reward is his people living together with him forever. That's why when Jesus rises from the dead, he doesn't stand at the entrance to the tomb. It's why he doesn't wait for us to come to him to celebrate with him. No, he walks out of the tomb and he goes immediately to the people that he rose. To live with. And that brings us to our second point, which is Jesus draws near. So in verse 13, we shift scenes from the graveyard to the road. And on this road, there are two disciples walking toward Emmaus. The text tells us this was a small town about seven miles away, and we don't know why this was their destination. Maybe it was their home. Uh, Maybe they just had some family there. Maybe it was just a place to go after they heard the women's stories about Jesus. Uh, But while we don't know why they were going there, we do know why they were leaving Jerusalem. Because they were broken. Because they were sad that Jesus was dead. And they were confused after the women's story about God and his ways and his working in their life. Everything they thought they had understood about where God was and what he was doing has been completely turned upside down in their life. Like we talked about at the beginning of the sermon, some of you might be experiencing that. Here, these two disciples are experiencing that exact same thing. And then Jesus draws near. Verse 15, while they were still talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept or prevented from recognizing him. As I was reading this, I kept thinking about an interaction Jesus had with the Pharisees earlier on in the Gospel of Luke about the kingdom of God. In Luke chapter 17, the Pharisees asked Jesus, When will the kingdom of God come? When is it going to show up? Where is it? And Jesus replies, and I quote, The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, that is seen, uh, nor will they say, Look! Here it is, or there it is, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you, Jesus says. And there Jesus' point is that God in his kingdom is always near. God is not absent from the world because his spirit is in the world. His word is in the world. God is working in the world even now but God's presence and his saving and his work of saving sinners his work of maturing saints God's work of helping us and restoring us that isn't something that you see with your physical eyes but it's something instead that you see by faith as the spirit works in our lives to bring the kingdom of God into existence among us Now take that point and apply it to what's happening here with these two disciples on the road to Emmaus. They're devastated, right? They're confused, they're hurt, they're angry probably. They're certainly lost. And what's the first thing that the living Christ does? He goes and he walks with his people in their brokenness and in their hurt and in their confusion so that he can build the kingdom up in their lives, right? The king of the kingdom of God comes to build his kingdom in the lives of his people when they are just not in a place where they can discern his presence or understand his work. But yet Jesus comes to them and he walks with them because he wants to enjoy his reward, which is them, even in their confusion. Even in their sadness, his joy is that he gets to be with them. And he is looking forward to giving them the joy of, of of allowing them to recognize him and that he is with them and helping them and walking with them. Now, I know some of you are probably thinking, okay, Pastor Matt, the idea that Jesus draws near to us and seeks us out and walks with us in our hurt and confusion and pain, like that's really encouraging But at the same time, some of you are probably also justifiably thinking, but this story can't really apply to me because by the Bible's own telling, Jesus is now in heaven. And so he is not going to suddenly join me on any road to Emmaus or when I'm shopping at Walmart or walking Potato Creek. Like, that's not going to happen. So how does this idea of Jesus drawing near, to live with me and build up the kingdom and grow a relationship with me and give me the joy of knowing that he is present? How does that apply to me today? And that's a great question. You guys ask great questions. Um, The text answers it because the text shows us that the way these two disciples come to see Jesus, the way they realize that Jesus is alive, that he is near and that he is working for them is the same way that we realize and see Jesus doing all of that by the Holy Spirit for us today. You see, in this interaction, Jesus is showing us how we can discern his presence and his work in our lives now that he's resurrected and ascended. He's showing us how we can know him and believe he's near and grow closer to him every single day. And I can say that because of our final point about our heart's Burn within us. Uh, I'm going to come back to their conversation with Jesus and to this, into the supper. But I need to actually jump ahead a second to what the disciples said to each other after Jesus leaves. Verse 32. Right after they realize that it's Jesus who was with them, and then Jesus vanishes. They say to each other in verse 32, "Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the Scriptures?" That comment, did not our hearts burn within us? It's it's such a loaded phrase in Luke's gospel, quite literally. They say, didn't the wicks of our hearts, the the lamps of our hearts, the candle of our hearts, didn't they keep burning while Jesus while he opened the scriptures to us? Didn't the wicks of our hearts keep burning? If you're familiar with the Bible, there are two sayings of Jesus that uh also might be familiar to, to you, and they use the same Greek word that we find here. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 15, Jesus tells us in the Sermon on the Mount, no one hides a lamp under a cover. Instead, they put it on a stand. And there, Jesus' point is that we need to let the transforming grace of God shine out in our lives as we join jesus in his kingdom work the other passage is luke chapter 12 verse 35 and there jesus tells us that we need to keep the burning candle of our faith well supplied with the oil of god's presence so we can follow christ well the parable of the ten virgins with the lamps And the point there is our need to be near to Jesus daily, weekly, monthly, yearly, so that we can discern his presence and the best ways to respond to him by faith. Uh, Oh, and by the way, there's only one more time this word is used in the Gospels, and uh, that's in John's Gospel, where Jesus says that John the Baptist was a burning candle of God's ministry. Uh, You enjoyed his light for a season, but now a brighter and better light. Jesus and his kingdom has taken its place. So all of this to say, when Jesus talks about a lamp staying lit, a candle staying on fire, he's talking about a living relationship with him. He's talking about how our life with him changes us so that the gospel shines out from us. He's talking about our need to stay near Him so that we can know Him more and see Him more clearly and serve Him better and and enjoy Him more. And now here in Luke chapter 24, the disciples say to each other that the candle of their hearts, which burns because of Jesus' gospel and because of His presence was on fire while Jesus was talking with them, while He was explaining the Bible. And I think, celebrating the Lord's Supper with them. That is when their hearts burned. That's when they discerned Jesus. That's when they understood what was happening. And that is how it carries over directly to us. So let me spell this out a little bit more. Uh, Like us, the disciples on the road to Emmaus, they experienced communion with Jesus through prayer. I mean, how else would you describe this conversation they had with Jesus? Right, in verse 17, they respond to Jesus' presence with, frustration that he doesn't seem to know the important things that have happened to them. Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who doesn't know what's happened? (laughs) And then Jesus invites them to explain it to him and to empty their hearts to him. I mean, isn't that a form of prayer, beloved? Sometimes Jesus comes to us in our lives, I mean, not physically on a road, I know, but through the Spirit Himself, through a person, or or through an event, through the Word, and He will provoke a conversation with Him and our Heavenly Father about what's going on in our lives and hearts, and we'll tell God, God, how do you not see this? How do you not know this? You know what? I'm going to tell you about it. Because I'm confused and frustrated and clearly someone needs to fill you in so you can help me, right? That's a form of prayer. The Psalms are full of those prayers. (laughs) And it's good for us to see that this conversation is a prayer. Because again, this is about getting to know the resurrected Jesus and discerning his presence and prayer. So pouring your heart out to Jesus is a big part of that relationship. And then the next thing that happens is Jesus explains their life through the Bible. That's verses 26 to 27. O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the things, in all the scriptures, all the things concerning himself. Uh, I think it's important for us to realize that what Jesus is doing here is not simply giving them uh, what some scholars call a Bible study to end all Bible studies. That, that's not like what's happening. Uh, what he is doing is he is explaining to them the work of God for them in the Messiah. He is reframing their understanding of God And themselves and how God works in the world and how God works with them and for them in Jesus through the scriptures. He's realigning their theological vision to the Bible's theological vision. Uh, It's not just, you know, here are some interesting things about the Christ that you should know, it's here is the work of Christ for you today. Here's how to understand the events that have been happening to you and around you. And here's how to understand what God has been doing through you and for you in these events so that you can know him and trust him and grow in him. It's a reframing of reality. And then finally, there's the Lord's Supper. Now, I know there's some disagreement on whether or not Jesus is celebrating the Lord's Supper with the disciples here, but I think this is definitely the Lord's Supper being celebrated here. Uh, the way Luke's, Luke writes about it, I think, is clearly meant to bring our minds back to when Jesus first instituted and celebrated the Lord's Supper with these disciples. So verse 30, when he was at table with them, he took bread And he blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. See, it seems to me the final thing that Jesus did to help them discern his presence was to give them communion. Now, notice he doesn't eat with them, and I think that's because he told us that he would not eat again with us this meal until we eat it with him in the new heavens and the new earth. But he clearly gives them communion. He gives them one of the most fundamental ways to receive assurance about his work and his presence in their life. The supper is a fundamental way for us to receive and to grow in the reframing work of Jesus as we receive his word and as we pour out our hearts to him in prayer. It is central to knowing that Jesus is near us Even when we are confused, frustrated, sad, afraid, alone, befuddled, happy, joyous, Jesus is near us. And He's living with us by His Spirit. Because this supper tells us that Jesus died for us so that He could rise for us and live with us forever in communion, fellowship, together. Starting now. See, Jesus prepares the supper after, after engaging in a prayerful conversation with them and giving them the word. They then have communion, and then they recognize it. And then they can reflect on the fact that their hearts were burning as they experienced Jesus' presence. So let me bring all this together. Um, if you want to seek Jesus, you need to look for him among the living. And I would add, you should especially look for him among those whom he is living with. That would be his church. And you need to know that Jesus is near and that he is working. And in order to see that, in order to know that, what do we need? We need prayer. We need the Bible. We need the Lord's Supper. Or you could just say, we need Sunday worship. (laughs) And this has been the case throughout the entirety of Jesus' life with his people. Think about the Psalms which are just full of accounts of God's people struggling with where is God and what is God doing? And what's his plan for my life? But but after they spend time in worship, they start discerning how near God is and what he's doing and why he's doing it. You see, worship, corporate worship as God's people is the way that God reframes our life and our experiences so that we can see his goodness and experience the redemptive work of jesus as he builds his kingdom among us right it's prayer to jesus it's having the bible read and explained to us it's having jesus word applied to our lives it's celebrating communion as a church it's these things that keep the light of our hearts on fire and growing it's worship that begins and grows and deepens and strengthens our relationship with the lord And uh, that's why, to conclude, it's my prayer that Sunday worship with the church will not simply be a priority for us in the future, though I very much want it to be a priority. It's even more my prayer that Sunday worship will be a time for us where we expect to discern the presence of Jesus in our lives more clearly, to understand his work more uh, keenly, and to grow closer to our risen Savior. My friends, if you want to know Jesus, you have come to the right place. Uh, keep coming. Keep praying. Keep listening. Keep taking the supper if you're a communicant member uh, because the living Christ is in our midst and he wants us to know him more. Amen? Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, thank you that we can know the resurrected and ascended Jesus through your word and through prayer and through your supper. Thank you that your spirit uses these things along with the life of your people to make Christ known to us so that we can grow in faith and repentance and godliness together. Now, please help us to engage with each of these things so that we can know Jesus more. And please don't let us leave worship this morning without knowing more of our Savior who has been drawing near to us through prayer and the word, and who we look forward to now drawing near to us through his supper. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.